The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Please turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. Many companies and advertisers promote the slogan, Satisfaction Guaranteed, in efforts to lure buyers for their products and services, especially this season of the year. In this materialistic age in which we live, do people even know what satisfaction means? It seems that people are all too unsatisfied. Well, tonight as we wrap up our series in Advent in the book of Isaiah, we come to discover in our text that the suffering servant meets the very satisfaction of God, even as he satisfies all those who embrace him with a heart of faith. Please follow as I read Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I shall divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is God's holy, inspired word. Let us pray. Father, once again we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The dentist that I visited regularly in my growing up years was a perfectionist if I ever saw one. With painstaking detail, he searched every nook and cranny of the patient's mouth to diligently repair with the, any, any and all damage inside with the greatest precision. All of his office tools and the office space were kept in immaculate condition. And that's perhaps what you would want in a dentist or any other professional service provider. But one peculiar thing I found over the years was he never kept the same staff people for very long. I rarely, if ever, had the same dental hygienist twice. I believe that my dentist was such a perfectionist that he never kept the people he hired for very long. He always seemed to find something wrong with their work. 
and either let them go, or perhaps his employees found him so difficult and demanding to work for that they left on their own accord. This dentist was never satisfied with the performance of others and perhaps not even his own as well. Perhaps you have had the experience of trying to please a teacher, a coach, a parent, or a boss who was never satisfied. Perhaps you yourself are one who is difficult to please. And maybe some of us see God as a taskmaster who, with before whom we never seem to measure up or please, no matter how hard we try to perform. Well, the truth is, from Scripture, that because we are fallen sinners, none of us are able to satisfy the righteous requirements of our God. Thankfully, in Jesus Christ, we have one who has satisfied the Father and calls you and I to do the pleasure of his will. In these final three verses of the servant song, we see that the servant satisfies the Lord God according to a revealed plan by making redemptive provision and is, one, and is finally given a reward of great promotion. The preceding 12 horrific verses, we might say, hardly anticipate the final treatment, the final ex- exaltation we find in the final verses we find something quite astonishing. That despite all the horrors that we've seen the servant suffering at the hands of wicked men, it's clear in verse 10 and following that this was no accident of cruel injustice. This was planned. It was the revealed will of the Lord to crush him. It was the Father's purpose to put his son to grief. Verse 10 reveals this intentional plan of redemption through which the servant will receive a glorious reward. That which at first appeared to be a failure is the very means by which the servant makes propitiation for his people and is thus rewarded with days prolonged and prosper. Our text opens by declaring that the servant's soul will be an offering for guilt The priests of the Old Testament were instructed by the law to make guilt offerings by bringing animal sacrifices to the altar, sacrifice by the sprinkling of blood and the burning of fat and flesh were the very means of making propitiation or satisfying the wrath of God to clear sinners of guilt. And yet, the promise of a person in this text, makes clear that the blood of animals were inadequate to clear the sinner of his guilt. The Israelites were being informed here, as in other places, that they should anticipate another one coming who would provide one final and lasting satisfaction to take away the guilt of their sin. In an earlier verse of this passage, it announces that this servant would be cut off from his people. But here in verse 10, it makes reference to his offspring. It then says that despite his obvious death, the Lord will prolong 
his days. What this servant lacks by way of natural offspring, children, will be more than compensated by those spirit-born sons and daughters who will be grafted in to the line of Abraham. This promise anticipates life beyond the grave, which is fully manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection from the grave. The disciples could hardly have imagined how anything Jesus had told them could possibly be fulfilled when they saw him being taken away by armed men to be crucified. Their hopes were dashed. How could the Father require such sacrifice and suffering from his very own son? Back when I played Little League football, I had a teammate named Derek who had a father who came to just about every game and from the initial kickoff until the final whistle would be hollering encouragements and rebukes to his son throughout the entire game. Whether Derek was running with the football or making a play on defense or even standing on the sideline, we could hear his father shouting. This dad could not seem to understand why his son did not score on every carry or was not in on every play to make a tackle. He certainly couldn't understand why the coaches would ever have his son on the sideline. My parents and others made it their habit to avoid sitting near his dad, lest they should suffer early hearing loss. The sad fact is, Derek's father was a senior pastor of a local Baptist church. I sometimes wonder how Derek has fared trying to live up to his father's expectations. Since those days, I have pledged not to behave in like manner at my children's sporting events or otherwise. My wife occasionally has to remind me not to live vicariously through my own children. We try to maintain a balance of perspective regarding expectations for our children, whether it be their grades, sports, music, or behavior. As Jesus entered into this world a babe and grew as a young child into a man, I wonder how the expectations of his father developed into a mature understanding and identity as he studied scripture, prayed to his father, and listened to his teachers, I believe that Jesus matured to a realization and owning his mission on earth. What I find remarkable is how Jesus embraced his calling without regret and without resentment. In the Gospel of John, we find these peculiar and intimate statements of the Savior. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus was completely secure in the Father's love. 
It was his delight to please him. His father's expectations were not a burden to him. Jesus fully endorsed this plan and believed the promise that once executed, he would enjoy the fruit of satisfying his father's requirements and providing redemption to gather in all the lost sons and daughters of God. Verse 11 focuses on this redemption by way of appeasement and atonement. Verse 11 opens with these words, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. The causal effect is a relationship between the suffering of soul and the corresponding satisfaction. Both father and son are satisfied with the results of their plan. Our text alludes to the belief that far worse than the physical agony that Jesus experienced on the cross was the experience of alienation, suffering the very condemnation that you and I deserve for all eternity. Appeasement was needed. The righteous requirements of a holy God must be satisfied by both a willing and a perfect subject, one alone who could measure up to the requirements. And so the Son of God was sent on this redemptive mission to appease the Father and provide atonement for sins. In the latter half of verse 11, it says, "...the servant made many righteous by his knowledge." Now, what's unique about the servant's plan is that he did not make people better by good teaching, though there has never been a better teacher on earth. And he did not show people how to become righteous by his example, though he was the best of examples. No, he justified his people by bearing their iniquities. What the blood of bulls and goats could never accomplish, according to Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus provided an atonement with one final sacrifice for sins. Jesus knew the righteous requirements of law. He knew our helpless condition to measure up, to do anything to provide payment, atonement, or sacrifice to the Father. He is a willing substitute, a sacrificial lamb who died in our place to make full satisfaction to God, who desires nothing more than to be glorified and to reconcile all the lost sons and daughters to himself. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers gave up their lives during World War II, fighting for the Allied cause to grant freedom to captives, and to preserve freedom for others by way of sacrifice. It was this, on this very basis that the Allied commanders demanded nothing less than full and unconditional surrender from the Axis powers. The free and victorious people would not settle for appeasement. They would be satisfied with nothing less than a full yielding of rights. The Axis powers surrendering their military powers 
and giving up their conquered territories. It may seem harsh, the Lord's requirements on the servant. And yet they were nonetheless necessary, at least as necessary as the sacrifices made in World War II, and more so, with, what, with much more at stake. We were a people in bondage to sin and the devil, facing the prospect of eternal damnation as the only means of satisfaction to pacify for the egregious offenses we've committed against the holy God. Thankfully, God, in his wisdom, and the gracious compassion of the servant, found an alternative, a way by which the righteous requirements of God might be satisfied. Friends, you and I are not only spared eternal separation from God, but enjoy everlasting fellowship in the presence of the Trinity and the gravity of what Jesus suffered for you and I places this very burden before us. You must choose to either surrender your pride and accept his provision for your redemption or stubbornly insist on your own way and to be cast out of the Father's presence forever. Our passage ends with a mighty exaltation after a long humiliation. With fitting battle language, the victorious servant will share the spoils of war with fellow conquerors. Scripture says that you and I are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He loved us by identifying with us and continues to love us by interceding for us. Verse 12 says that he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Scripture says that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was not ashamed to be identified with outcast. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation where the man of sorrows took up our infirmities, moved in, lived, and dwelt amongst us. Final phrase of this passage, we see the very finished work of Christ. He bore the sin of many. And yet, in another way, the work is not finished because he continues in his role as mediator before our God until the judgment day approaches. Paul spells this out in Romans 8, 34, when he writes, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This one, who satisfied the will of the Father, is certainly worthy to represent us. Some of you may remember the brilliant performance. Figure skater from South Korea, Kim Yoo-na, who won the gold medal in the Winter Olympics in 2010. My wife and I remember how the commentators and reporters described the pressure that weighed upon her shoulders, as though the entire nation were depending upon her to win the gold medal. The gold medal would bring honor to South Korea. Anything less would bring shame to the nation. And this 
honor to this athlete, Kim Yu Na. We were glad for her sake that she won and measured up to expectations. This world champion skater represented an entire nation. In fact, her identity was completely wrapped up with her people. They identified with her and she was identified with them. She poured out her soul through years of toil and sweat on the ice to prepare for one great competition. And thankfully, she won and brought satisfaction to her people. Jesus identifies with a people. More than a nation, we are transgressors. And he is the living Savior who continues to intercede on our behalf. And thankfully, this was not a burden, burdensome duty, but rather the joyful privilege of the Son to bring glory to the Father. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, says these words in John chapter 17. Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. There is nothing begrudging in this servant's motivation. He was a well-loved son who longed to do nothing more and nothing less than to guarantee his father's satisfaction and to please him in every way. I just saw online this week a sad story of a father who repeatedly punched his eighth-grade son in the face after a disappointing loss at a basketball game. Other adults in this Minnesota community, observing the scene, quickly intervened to protect the boy. The father was promptly arrested and was only released after paying $10,000 in bail. We are appropriately disturbed over this most inappropriate behavior. We have little toleration for overly competitive parents. We sympathize with this boy who will likely suffer greater psychological damage to his identity than to any scars he may suffer to his face. There are those who cynically charge God with cosmic child abuse by the suffering that Jesus endured in our place. They wonder why it was even necessary. Well, those who would presume such things and draw such conclusions grossly underestimate the problem of sin and the desperate condition that all mankind suffers. They also fail to understand the very willingness of Jesus to suffer punishment on our behalf, nor do they grasp the depths and the heights, the vision of the glory Jesus held in anticipation of a great reward after this humiliation. It was not to earn favor in the eyes of the Father, 
nor to measure up to impossible demands that drove Jesus to the cross. Rather, it was by pure pleasure to go on this desperate rescue mission in order to bring glory to God and to gather the rest of us who would have been left out in a cold, wintry eternity without it. Friends, this Christmas, let us praise our Savior who came to serve and to guarantee the Father's satisfaction and ours as well. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Father God, we praise you that in Jesus Christ we have one who is satisfied and met every requirement on our behalf. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for not begrudgingly but willingly and gladly suffering and dying in our place, that you have brought glory to the Father and you have brought us into your kingdom. We praise you this week as we celebrate your birth. Be glorified, we ask. In your precious name we do pray. Amen.